Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 342. This program is dedicated by Keith Karen, Yitzchak ben Lazer, in loving memory of his father, Jerry Karen, Lazer ben Moshe, Olav HaSholem. This is the week of Parshas Yisroi, and what is close to Chassidim as well is Chavbej Shvat, the sec- 22nd of Shvat in the year 1988. Shnaz Tismach, the Rebbe Tzachai Mushkes, his Talkus passing, so it's her Yartzeit this year on the 22nd of Shvat, later in the week. So let's begin, as is our custom, to talk about Chassidus Applied, the relevance, the personal relevance and application to our lives of both Pasha Yisrael and Chav Beishvat. I'll begin with Chav Beishvat. We all know that a uh, Rebbe and his Rebetzin are like a Melech and a Matronisa, a king and a queen. And they're complete together. When the Tzemach Tzedek's Rebetzin passed away, also Chaim Mushka, Tzemach Tzedek, it affected him deeply. And he said the expression, Ein melech matrinisa. A king is not a king without a queen. Now, obviously, he remains Rebbe, but it affected him, and we may never understand how these things work on the spiritual realms or on the physical realms. This is not our uh, job is to, is to uh, investigate and try to understand what is happening in the internal level. Why am I mentioning it, however? Because the fact is, it is the Rebbe, it's not the Rebbe. Though as discreet and private as she was, she was as a head aside from the moment when they married. And uh, through all the trials and tribulations, the travels, the marriage in Warsaw, and then through Berlin, Germany, and Paris, the other cities they visited and lived at until they finally came to America in 1941. Nine years later would be the passing of the Estalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe, and follow that, the Rebbe assumed leadership. We just honored that the last few weeks in Yudshvat. Yudshvat, especially this year, Yudshvat, Tavshim Peyal, 70 years from when the Rebbe said that first Maimer, Posilagani. What we always heard was that though the Rebbe resisted assuming leadership, one of the things, and maybe the thing that finally so called sealed the deal and the Rebbe agreed, was the Rebetzin's appeal to him, what will be with all the work of my father? Which really means all the work of the generations of Chabad Chassidim. I've never heard it firsthand, obviously, but that's what they say. The Rebbe was obviously impacted by the Rebetzin. We have not many, but the few stories we have are the Rebbe talks about the Rebetzin. You could see what, how he, what esteem he held her in. And of course, after Tav Shemem Ches, after the passing which is um, how many? 33 years ago. We all know what kind of effect it had on the Rebbe. He moved his whole operation to the house, davened for the Rebbe three times a day. It affected the Fabringens. The Rebbe stopped at some point saying, my modern explanations of Rashi, of Zoyar, of Pirkeyovis, Rambam, all the things the Rebbe himself initiated and held so dear, in some way were impacted by this. were the words that year. 33 years ago, 
that the Rebbe would use, the living shall take to heart. And it was very obvious it affected us all in so many different ways. But at the same time, as we've been always taught, it wasn't just about sadness and grief, it was also about building something new, building in her name, recognize that. Chav Bey Shvat, 22nd of Shvat, and Tav Shinun Bey's four years, fourth yard site, the Rebbe spoke a very powerful sicha, which later came out, Nakuntras B'choy Yevorech Yisrael, which the Rebbe actually handed out. And B'choy Yevorech Yisrael said, this day B'cho, Chav Bey's, in this day and through this day, everybody and everyone is blessed. And he connected Chav Bey Shvat to Yud Aleph Nisan. Chav Bey's is twice 11, 22, and connected it to Yud Shvat. And actually explained there the different stages in the leadership of the Rebbe, following his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe, in expanding and disseminating Teira and Chassidus throughout the entire world and preparing it for the Geulah. So you see what kind of import, what kind of significance a day like this had become. There's much to be said about it. I've spoken about it in previous years. So what do we learn from this and how do we apply it to our lives? Well, the Rebbe goes hand in hand with the Rebbe. The Rebbe is the Nosya Hadar, the seventh generation. The Rebbe is the Malka, the queen of the generation. Again, regardless of her approach, behind the scenes, quiet, but she was there, always there at the Rebbe's side. So everything we learn about our connection to the Rebbe, like the Rebbe said, Yudalat Kislev, at the day of the anniversary of the marriage, the 25th anniversary, what did the Rebbe say? On Yudalat Kislev, Tovshin uh, Yudalat, <coughs> which was, pay test was the wedding, so Tzadik test, Tovshin test, 25 years. The Rebbe said that this is the day that bound me to you and you to me through the marriage of the Rebbets. So she's connected to this whole generation. On this day, we need to recommit and reconnect to the mission that the Rebbe gave us. You read the Chav Beishvat Sicha, many Sichas, but especially the one I just mentioned, you see it's all about preparing the last stages of doing the work of finishing the job, of preparing the world to the Geula. After thousands of years of work, came clear, as the Rebbe said, we are on the threshold. So the first thing is simple commitment, more than ever before, especially now that it's 30 years from the, when the Rebbe said that's powerful, Sicha Chavches, listen, I have done everything I can, now do what you can, to recommit, reconnect, find new innovative ways to bring the message of Gilead Lekus, the divine revelation, to anyone you can reach. That's on a very basic level. Antoine Anchav Beishvat is coming Thursday. But in preparation to that and following that, take on new resolutions in this regard. Especially Nishayu B'nai being that the Rebetzin was from the world of Malchus, as the Rebbe explains in that Sikha, that a woman has a certain particular role, especially in building the home. So the purpose of creation is Nesava Kodesh Baruch Elias Le'edit to build a home, a divine home in this material world. And a woman's role is that Keres Habay is the foundation of the house. So the Rebbe explained, using the name of Chayimushka is not just to build a home, not just to protect from the elements, not just the bare necessities in a home as a shelter, but to build a beautiful home, Chaya, filled with vitality, and Mushka, with a beautiful aroma. Mushka comes from Muscat, 
from a perfume, one of the one of the eleven incense that was used in the Beis Hamikdash, Chaya Mushke. So Adira No, a home, not just a basic, the basic, the bare bones, but with the beauty, and the Giluyim, the revelations and the warmth, that particularly women bring, to a home and a family. Chachmas Nashim Beisa, the wisdom of women builds a home. So women have a particular role to play, as the Rebbe explains in that sicha, that though everyone is charged with the mission of bringing godliness to others, but a woman's touch, a little more gentleness, a little more nurturing, has that particular extra element that reaches into people's hearts, and that's for men to learn from as well, because we complement each other, each one with a particular strength. The third thing I would say is to actually learn the sikh of Chav Shvat. Learn that, that particular sikh that was said in Nafshin and Beis that the Rebbe distributed with, uh, I think it was a $5 bill, or maybe it was a $1, I think it was a $5 bill. And there's much more to be learned. Let me share a story that I heard from the first person who went to see the Rebbe's and visited the Rebbe's in her house. I may have told the story before, but it's still a good story worth repeating in honor of the Rebetzin. So this guy came from a different country, and the Rebetzin, in her customary way, warm hospitality, welcomed him, gave him a cup of tea. And they were talking, and he was telling the Rebetzin in English. He was saying that uh, in his city, it happens to be filled with a lot of problems now. Machlaikas, disagreements, and fighting, and infighting. And he kept on elaborating. The Rebetzin was listening. And then she's, this is the way I heard the story from him. She did like this to him. He had a cup of tea in his hands. She, like made, she, she, uh, she made that he should put down the cup of tea and basically to listen a moment. In other words, I want to tell you something. She didn't say those words, but that was the gesture. She says, I heard from my grandfather. That's the Rebbe Nishmose, Aiden, the Rebbe Rashab. Friedrich Rebbe's father, I heard from my grandfather, as in Lubavitch is alls good. In Lubavitch, everything is good. Essentially telling him, what are you telling me these stories about? But in Lubavitch, fighting and so on. I heard from my grandfather, in Lubavitch, everything is good. So without uh, <laughs> giving any adjectives or descriptions, he, uh, <laughs> he said to Rebetzin, with all respect, Rebetzin, it's not good. Here in this particular city, it's, it's in the streets, it's in the media, people know about it. It's creating a bad name. Lubavitch, it's, it's, it's not good. So the Rebetzin responded. She said, If it's not good, it's not Lubavitch. Powerful uh, lesson from the Rebetzin, which means Lubavitch chassidus is teira. And teira is emes, teira is emes. And teira is chesed. Its paths are paths of pleasant paths, and all its roads are peaceful. So in Teira, and here Teira is Achsidis, Achsidis Chabad, Chabad, you can't say there's something not good. If it's not good, it's not Chsidis, it's not, it's not Labavitch. It's a very powerful lesson to learn. It reminds me of another story, a story that Chsidim tell. There was a Chassid who used to walk. Every Yomtev, he lived in a town not, near, not far from Lubavitch. So he chose to walk for Yomtev. He would walk for Yomtev to be by his Rebbe. Not sure which Rebbe it was. It could have been the Tzamech Tzedek, Rebbe Marash. At a couple of times he got older. 
and it was not so easy. So his family suggested, why don't we just take you with a horse and buggy, a carriage, we'll take you before Yontif, you'll stay in Lubavitch, you don't have to schlep and walk. No, he refused. Without explanation, he refused time and again. They said, why? What's, what, why, why are you so insistent? So he responded. He said, when I come up Lamaila, after May of Ashram Shun, after 120 years, I come up. And they're going to ask me, what did you accomplish with your life? He says, I don't have much to share. One thing I could say, as chus I had, I walked to my Rebbe every Yom Tov. And I don't want to have a horse suddenly show up and say, hey, one second, I'm a partner with you. Because you didn't go yourself. Uh, you rode on me. He says, in my Lubavitch, I don't want to have a horse. So I already have something, as I don't need others to come in, especially a horse, basically. Mein Lubavitch is all good. It's a tremendous lesson in life in general. Because, yes, of course we know, we're realistic. We're not naive. We understand that people, there are shortcomings and people make mistakes. So each of us have our flaws. But the question is, the flaw is in you, your behavior, not in Lubavitch, not in Chassidus, not in Teder, Chaz B'Shalom. And not in your soul. Every morning we say, Neshamesh and Nesatabi, Tehedehi, the soul you've given me is pure. And we say that as a tefillah, which means it's emes, it's true. It's not our own, we didn't fabricate the sentence, God forbid. This is what it was designated to say. And yet the soul does go through a journey. It needs to be protected. In a world that is hostile and challenging, we need protection. But it's still always tehedehi, always pure. Lesson from the Rebbe's. As I said, there are many, many others. I'll mention one more, which the Rebbe used very powerfully after the court case. Hey, Tevis, the Rebbe said it was the Rebbe's words that really sealed the case. When the judge Sifton used the Rebbe's words, which in her deposition, she said, when they asked her, to whom do the books belong? To your father, to the Chassidim? She responded, my father himself belonged to the Chassidim. There's so much to be said just about that, what a Rebbe is, what Chassidim are. The whole role of a Rebbe, not being a private citizen, not being a personal en- en- entity, but one that's completely dedicated to Chassidim. And she said about her father, but you could apply the same thing to her husband, to the Rebbe. Yet another powerful lesson from the Rebbe, a message from the Rebbe. So here we are honoring that. And as the Rebbe did those years, every year after Chav Bey's Shvat, Namches, each year, speaking of Abreng and Asiche, the Shleishim of the Rebbe, the end of the Kaddish, at the end of the year, and many mother lessons and messages that we can all learn from. So from that, let us segue now into Parshas Yisrei. Parshas Yisrei is, of course, Parsha Matan The three major themes of this book, Chumash Shmois, second book of the Teda, is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Matan and the building of the Mishkan. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of course, includes Kriyas Yamsuf. And Teda, in general, Chassidus particular, makes and explains what these three milestones were. There were three steps in the process of a metamorphosis, of a transformation from a nation that was enslaved and suffered and was born, Goy Mekerev Goy, a birth, to become Atam Tili, Mamleches Kainim V'Gay Kodesh, a nation, a, king, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that would bring and transform this world with the word of God through justice and virtue 
and through all that the mitzvahs bring to this world. It changed the world. So Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim was step one, is going out of Mitzorim V'gvulim, as Chassidus explains. Mitzorim V'gvulim is the limitations, the constraints, all the fears and insecurities using personal, emotional terms that trap us, that don't allow us to be who we should be, to spread our wings. That's the basis of everything. You don't have that, you cannot blossom, you cannot flourish. You're enslaved by your internal fears or external ones. So that becomes step one. It's Yis Mitzrayim. Step two, that leads them to Kriya Siamsuf and then to Matan Teda 49, 50 days later. And what's Matan Teda? Matan Teda, now that you have freed yourself, you have been freed. So now, the beginning of the Ten Commandments, Seres Adibris, starts as Seres Adibris given a Matan Teda, the mandate, the divine mandate is given to the Jewish people. They become a new nation at that point a nation that receives the mandate. So following Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim, which means getting out of your internal fears and internal blockages, now you receive the mandate. But then we have to implement it. Then will be the third stage in the coming parshas after Mishpatim comes Truma. We will take this mandate and this blueprint and actually transform the material world. Kesav, Zavon, Necheshes silver, gold, copper, and all the other materials and turn it into a divine sanctuary, a divine home. So in our own personal lives, we also need these three stages. We all need to find a place where we create freedom. Through learning Torah, through connecting ourselves, our minds, our hearts, and our actions to something that's not man-made. It's not our businesses, it's not our preoccupations and all our vocations and different activities. But it's what is something divine that lifts you up, makes you a freer person. Transcendence. That leads to a blueprint. You follow a guide, a guide to life, a life operator's man, the life's, uh, life's operator man, operator manual given to us by God Himself. Aligning our lives to that purpose for which we were created. And then, as we'll learn in the coming chapters, comes. Uh, the, the implementation of building the Mishkan based on this mandate, this blueprint. But Pasha Yisrael includes this story, of course, but it's, it's prefaced, interestingly, by something that seems to be completely tangential, and peripheral, and that is Yisrael by Yishma Yisrael. The whole Pasha's Matan is called by the name Yisrael. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law, who arrives and recognizes that Atta now I see, now I recognize that your God is greater than all the gods because he was a master, a philosopher, and a uh, wizard, you can say, of all spiritual disciplines. And now he recognizes. So why is this so relevant, Chassidus asks. It's really a question in the Zayar. Why is coming, the arrival of Yisrael preface and prepare them for the giving of the Torah? What's the connection between the two? It's a very nice and impressive thing that Yisrael recognizes the power of God, the power of Torah, so the answer is, as the Zayar Yisrael, the name Yisrael comes from the word Yisrael Na'er Min Yisrael also means, among different things, the Yisrael, the advantage, the addition, Yesar. A parsh is added because of Yisrael. Because the purpose of Matan Teir is to transform the world. It's not just to 
rise above existence and demonstrate that God is Eneid Movade, nothing but godliness, is that the world itself should recognize it. Who is the best representative of the world itself? Yisrael. In a sense, an endorsement coming from within. The expression of the Gemara, talking about Avadya, who was a Ger, that his Nevoah, his prophecy about Gula is the strongest one of all because he came from Eden. The Gula is about transforming the material world, transforming the secular world, transforming the Gentile world, the world of nations, not just escaping from it. So, how do you cut down a tree? With the wood from the, 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 the wood, the handle of the axe cuts down that very tree. You need the wood to cut down the wood. So Yisrael's acknowledgement, in a sense, prepared the ground that the world is ready now, which is, of course, explains as well another question. Why, if, if the Torah is the purpose of all existence, why wasn't it given immediately? Adam and Chava are born and created. Day six of creation, the first Rosh Hashanah, they should have received the Torah. It says they fulfilled the Torah even before it was given, but it wasn't given officially. That's the whole purpose. Because one of the reasons given is the first 26 generations, you have to earn it. You have to prepare the ground. Because if it's just given as a gift, you won't appreciate it. And the whole purpose is it should be integrated and internalized in life. So Pashas Yisrael adds another dimension to this that has to come from within. So Yisrael gave that stamp of approval, not that they needed his endorsement, but it demonstrated that the world recognizes something special is going to happen, something special has happened, and that prepares and primes material existence to be able to absorb this great revelation, and of course, the rest is history, after Matan Teda becomes the job of ours until this very day, the thousands of years, is indeed transforming the Kheftza, the very matter of existence into something soulful, spiritual, godly. So the lesson is very clear in our mission as well as we build our lives, that we have this mandate, but we also have that endorsement, we have that recognition. And today you see it. Millions and millions of people in the world have, not necessarily they're all like yesterday, but have acknowledged, more than acknowledged, embraced the values that were given us to Har Sinai. As the Rambam says, that Christianity and Islam, in God's mysterious ways, help pave the way by bringing awareness even to the farthest islands in this world, in this globe, on earth, about the idea of unity of Mashiach. So that's where we are, and we are, as I said earlier, at the threshold that Rebbe told us we're now at the end of the process. So we have to just tip that scale and bring true of Atzala to individually, personal, and global redemption. Okay, with that, let us go to some questions. But before I do that, let me do a little housekeeping. As you know, we have a special dedicated site called chassidusapply.com where you can find this program and all the archive programs, including a forum where you can submit anonymously, totally anonymously, any question. Every question is acceptable. Nothing's taboo, nothing is off limits. And I will address them all in time. There are many questions. There is a backup. But as you see, we're getting the questions into it. I try to incorporate them together, like as we'll do in this program as we continue on. And, um, and uh, please God, in the coming weeks as well, as we continue this journey. So I want to cross-reference and, and uh, 
the topic I spoke, Chav Beishvat and Yisrael, of course, this is now seven years. We're actually coming to the eighth year of my life, so this applied. Would you believe? So I want to cross-reference, because I've talked about it in previous episodes, previous years, and I like to be thorough, so <clears throat> you can or cannot follow up by looking up the, the previous episodes. They're all time-stamped. When you click on the video, you'll see there's a, uh, each, each subject is listed, each topic, and there's a timestamp that you can just press on that and go straight to that part of the program, so you don't have to listen to the whole thing. Obviously, all these programs are downloadable. Actually, more people watch and listen to it on, listen to it on podcast than actually watch it. But we have it on all the platforms, so please take advantage, share it, and uh, we continue the journey. <clears throat> so the cross-references to Chav Beishvat and Yisrael are episodes 54 and 55, 101, 150, 290, I'm sorry, 199, 200, 245, 246, and 295 through 297. Okay. So now I want to continue a conversation about many different things that have come up. Some are timely, and some are topics we began discussing over the previous weeks. So let me begin with one, because I want to really finish that topic. Well, it's never going to be finished, but at least this stage of the game. About parents and children. So, it's a, so I was dealing with this in the past weeks. Issues between parents and children, whether it's connected to religion, or connected to alienation, or just in general, the issues that we all deal with, who doesn't have their challenges. So there's one final question, as I said, final in this, this group of questions that I'd like to read. And the question is, how can I heal from an abusive home? So here's the question. I'll read the, I'll read the note. It's a little, um, not that short, but worth reading because as I find, and that's why I do these questions and sometimes read them in full length because I know and I always see the feedback that these questions may not be exactly the issue of others, but very often elicits and it's similar to parallels. And I always see that, especially these more painful challenges, um, evokes in people reactions and we get, and I get many different follow-up questions. So it's, I see valuable to read. Sometimes people need the courage. Sometimes they need the encouragement. They see someone else is addressing it. Less shameful, less embarrassing. And above all, it's all anonymous. So please take advantage because it's nothing to do with anyone exposing anyone. It's just about really trying to get help. And everyone always deserves to be able to be heard and deserves any type of advice. I will try to provide it to the best of my ability. But also other people listen to this and they also respond. And I know I know hundreds of cases over the years, including even recently, where people who have listened to these programs and read, a, read someone's, where I read someone's question and they responded and actually put people in touch with each other. Though I don't know who they are, but they're often they send a, a, a contact information and people have really helped each other. But this doesn't mean you have to give us your name, but in case you do want to, please include it in your message and content. It will always remain confidential. So here's the question. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, my name is blank. I am reaching out to you since I heard that you answer questions and guide people facing different dilemmas. I am hoping you can help me. I grew up in a very stressful and difficult home. My mother was verbally, emotionally, and at times physically abusive to my siblings and 
myself. As I grew up, I internalized a lot of incorrect and mixed messages about myself and the world around me. We were constantly criticized, lectured day in and day out about how incapable we were and how we ought to be. I tried so hard to live up to our expectations, to reach a place where I'd be considered good enough, worthy enough, but it never came. In short, no matter how much effort I put in, I was made to feel like a failure. I often felt responsible for my mother's angry outbursts. It was as if I was walking on eggshells all the time, and any slight misdeed, or better yet, any action whoever, who, who never knew would lead to an explosion. In short, I blamed myself for everything that went wrong and felt unworthy of love and undeserving of any good. In addition, there was constant strife between my parents. My father's an amazing person, and he wasn't given the space to nurture a relationship with his children. My mother manipulated us into thinking that my father was a bad guy and I should keep distance from him, and I could never see a reason for that. Years later, I realized her narcissistic personality disorder caused her, caused her to act like this. Oftentimes, I was forced by my mother to do things that were disrespectful toward my father. This developed tremendous agony and confusion in my siblings and I. As those long years went by, I felt deprived of love, care, and nurturing relationship with either my parents. I viewed the world unsafe. I was hurting, sad, and emotionally distressed, and felt like I deserved this all. As I began high school, I slowly started to recognize that the circumstances I was living in were very unhealthy. I felt so alone, unloved, emotionally deprived, and unwanted. The pain was so unbearable, and I, I couldn't and I couldn't take it any longer. So left home. So I left home and didn't come back. I was soon connected to a truly incredible and kind family. They took me into their home for the rest of my senior year, after which I attended seminary out of town. I am, a current, I am currently a year out of seminary, and I'm living on my own now, independently. All those years of pain is now resurfacing. I see a therapist. However, I need something more. I'm struggling day in and day out. I feel emotionally neglected and terribly alone inside. I feel abandoned by my parents, even though I somewhat added to that by removing myself from any relationship with that. My mother tries really hard to distance me from keeping a relationship with my siblings now, which makes things even harder. These are people who are supportive. There are people who are supportive and caring, but it deepens the pain in me even more because I don't want to expect to accept their chesed and favors. I want to be claimed to feel like I belong somewhere on an unconditional basis. Every day I'm fighting, fighting internally to keep productively, productivity, to feel useful, but I feel an emptiness and unimportant. I'm internally fighting to keep my Yiddishkeit and fit into the standards of my community. I don't see the beauty and love in it. It feels like a burden. It's too hard to live this way and be fake all the time. It's difficult for me to focus on appreciating Yiddishkeit while I, when I feel unwanted by people closest to me so and, and so conditionally accepted by my community. My friends and caring people, however, I feel like their compassion is conditional and at times based on my frumkeit or something else. Okay, the concluding paragraph. It hurts to be from to live a life that was like, that, like this, a life like this. I want to break free and remove myself from, the, from this pain. I want to be accepted and loved behind all this and much deeper. I know that I don't necessarily need others to give me this. I wish I could feel it's from Hashem, but I can't. I don't have a correct model of a relationship with unconditional acceptance. I don't know how to change this. I perceive relationships as shaky and as difficult 
to make sense of my past and feel Hashem's care. I don't know how to change this. All I deeply want to get out of this dark hole, don't want to stay in this and feel like I am drowning. I don't feel like I have the skills to build myself up. Often I feel slightly depressed and lack motivation to do things. I know if I continue this way longer, for longer, I will eventually try to break free of this pain through only short-term relief, which isn't a solution either. I'm reaching out, asking for guidance to get out of this painful daily struggle and regain strength to live life and grow again. Hope you would be able to help me. Thank you for your time. Okay. So, I hope you understand why I take the time to read it in full. First of all, just to validate you, whoever's listening to this, that you're entitled to be heard. You're created by God. You have the dignity of the divine image in you no matter what happened to you. Parents, friends, nobody can take that away because they didn't give it to you. So I take the time to read it just for that reason alone. As far as suggestions, advice. So firstly, if anybody who just heard what I read resonates with you, please write to me if you have any thoughts or ideas because I don't have a magic pill, obviously. I try to dig deeper, look into chassidus, look into the Rebbe's tailor, the Rebbe's letters, advice, the tailor's empathy for the human being, for each one of us, and particularly when you're dealing with these type of challenging situations. It's sad, but true. Parents have deep impact on us, for good, and sometimes not so good. I always say, whenever I read anything like this, I always qualify, I don't know everything going on. There may be more to the story, there may be other angles. And not in any way, God forbid, that I challenge or question the veracity and the sincerity of this letter. But to really be able to advise, you need to know there's dynamics. You you write that the siblings, your mother's keeping you away from them. Can you not contact siblings? You're an adult at this point. Are there others that you grew up with? There may be uncles and aunts. There may be grandparents. And I really believe that there's always, the Eberster does not give us, God does not give us challenges we cannot overcome. So the first thing is to try to look for support somewhere. Now clearly you have looked. You've talked about friends. But you know what? You don't stop looking. There's always going to be someone or some people who can provide some support. And in many ways it's not even an answer. Just emotional support, validation. Respect. Recognizing that you're hurting, recognizing you want to build your life. Listen, your goal is very straightforward in my point of view. is to find the right shidduch. It's to find the right soulmate who can give you this love. And you can give him your love. And together... Since seminary, that's why I assume this is a, a woman. She probably referred to it as that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and build a life. And learn from your, what happened to you to know what not to do as you build your own home and family. That would definitely be the goal. Are you ready for that? Maybe you are. Maybe you just need some people to help you along, encourage you. I know there may be fear because you may feel I don't really have the tools. But the only way to go swimming is by jumping into the water. You learn on the job like everybody, like all of us do. There's no such thing as a professional uh, spouse or professional parent. We all are amateurs and we learn. So that would be the direction I would go. I don't mean that as a uh, type of, you must do that. I meant that would fill the void because you can build your own life. Right now, you wander and you're alone and isolated. 
So I would look toward that direction. See what kind of support you can find. You want to reach out to me? You have reached out to me. If I can be a further help, please do so. You want to speak with me? You know, I've given my number out. You can always contact through this forum and give a number or contact us by email and we'll be in touch with you. That's the little I can do. But I would never, ever give up, obviously. There are good people out there, very good people. And when you keep trying, you'll find the right ones. Some, there are those there that will help you greatly. Now, people have their lives, it's understandable, but don't feel that you're a burden on anyone. And don't feel that you have to avoid that people because look, look at what kind of story you're in and who, you don't want to burden anyone, you don't want to, you don't want to feel like needy or anything of that nature. And that's what I want to say. And above all, I go back to the fact that you are God's child. And God watches over you. you know, if we're blessed, we also have support, family members. Also, it's interesting that your father, who you clearly respect today, why don't you reach out to him? I mean, it's true, your mother poisoned you in many ways, but you came to see through it. Why don't you reach out to your father? Seems to me, based on how you describe that, he would be a wonderful asset. So that would be one final thing I would suggest. Keep on moving by your soul. Move forward, as we learned in last week's chapter. You get through all obstacles, last week's parsha, and you will see the light. And God should bless you that you should find your soulmate and build that beautiful home and find real happiness and no longer have to just carry your wounds and scars but learn from them and become a greater and stronger person. But we need others to do that. It's hard to do it yourself. Okay. So that covers that. Next. So, my friends, so we are, of course, in the middle of a coronavirus issue that's already going on now since around last year, February, March, Purim time. So inevitable the topic of vaccinations so here's the question what can we learn about the present vaccination of for the covid virus from the rebbe's attitude to previous vaccinations so interesting that just before covid19 broke as i said last winter i actually was speaking about it at length in the episodes, I'll give you the episodes, 146, 148, 269 through 274, that was very intense, 328 and 335, which is really about COVID. Now, why do I mention that? Because I don't want to go over and rehash everything that was discussed then. I went then through all the letters of the Rebbe on vaccination, literally everything I could find. And you can imagine what kind of mail I received, both directions, in support, against, Conspiracy theories. I mean, I received, if I recall correctly, I received a 10-page email. On and on. Every case made against vaccinations, how it's destroying people's lives. And then, of course, letters of, that the Rebbe himself wrote and how he addressed vaccinations. I tried to present a balanced approach, not based on any one particular's opinion, but a tailored approach. Remember, the issue is really a medical issue. What do I mean by a medical issue? If God told us in the Torah, here, Yom Kippur, you keep Yom Kippur. You keep Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, Shabbos, Kashrus. So we have the laws, and we go to Rabbanim. But in the areas of medicine, 
there's an expression, which we'll read next week's parsha. And it says, From this posik, you shall heal. God is giving permission to the medical, to, to human beings, to doctors, to heal. And it's a question, because the Gemara says, maybe only God is the healer. And yet we derive from this clearly that God gave that power. Now human beings are human beings. A doctor is fallible. Doctors make mistakes. More than that, they could also be biased, they can be bought off, and they can be corrupt. No one's denying that. And yet the Torah did say that. So in all the letters I've received, including now, we're coming from a Torah Siddhis position. I'm not sitting here and just spouting my own uh, pundit opinions on this matter. I'm trying to align it to what the Torah says. That's what our so-called advantage is, competitive edge. Because if you go out there, you're going to hear arguments in every direction, and you can't even make heads or tails. The people who are so adamant against any vaccination, just you can't talk to them. The people are adamant that you do it, you start, are also adamant. And then you start wondering, is there financial elements to this? Are the pharmaceutical companies, how they benefit from it? Everybody seems to have an agenda. Fact is, vaccinations in history have been a blessing in many ways. Have they also brought destruction and damage? Yes, there's some documented. But how do you make heads or tails? So that's why we were given a teira, teira eir. The world is fraught with all kinds of controversy, not just medical, but many things that some people say is great and other people say is not great. That's why the Yidin were blessed, the Matan Teda, to receive a Teda, the Elam Mishpatim, and then this Teda was developed through, through, through the, the Nevim and the Skenim and the Tanoim and Amaroim and the Rishenim and Achreinim and all the generations and Poskim to clarify matters. That's what it is, Birur Halacha. This is a question for Birur. So the Teda addresses this. That's the only place I can come from. I am not going to weigh, I'm not a doctor. So I don't have an opinion from a medical point of view. I didn't do research. I don't do, do research when, I, when one takes an Advil either, whether Advil really works or is it a placebo effect. And you can make a case. Anything you put in your mouth, anything that you ingest, anything that you, take a, you, 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 uh, you absorb in your body, always has a potential risk. As a matter of fact, any time they do anything, doctors always sign all these type of non-liability, uh, uh, non etc., etc. So I'm not, you can't come from that point of view. And I'm also not telling anyone what to do. So find yourself a rov that you trust. You need a second, find a second, find a third, and go by two out of three. Find a doctor you trust, a refi you did, hopefully one that can communicate also with a rov, so you get all the different angles. And when a question comes up, that's who you ask. That's how the tater works. Every time the Rebbe was asked these matters, that's what the Rebbe said. Now, what about vaccinations? So I gave you the episodes. I'm not going to go through it all because the letters, there are many letters. So one person writes, do you have the Rebbe's letter that was written in 1992 about vaccinations where he responds by saying, check the reliability of the manufacturing companies to see if they are safe. I'd love to see the letter and hear what you think about it in light of the new COVID vaccine. So yes, the letter I quoted and read. There are other letters as well. The Rebbe has a very balanced data approach. That if there's a new vaccine and it's not really been tested yet, obviously there's risk. So you need to go to experts that you trust and ask. Will there be disagreements? There will be disagreements. So that's why you have to find the ones you trust. Now there's an issue like the other, other side that Rebbe says, that if people are taking something, 
and it's does it mean that it can't hurt anyone? Everything can hurt. Not taking it also, can also be a risk, as we know. So the Rebbe does not come out unequivocally, don't take any vaccines. There's no anti-vaccine attitude or, strategy or, or, or perspective from the Rebbe. There's no such thing. Ones that were more tested and you have reliable labs and it's gone through the time test, the test of time, the Rebbe encouraged. And those include the polio vaccine. Now I know you can, you apply one to the next? Obviously not, because everyone's another story. Now we have the situation with COVID. As you know, I'm not going to rule on this matter right now. It all comes down to weighing everything, weighing the risks, weighing what the doctor says, asking a rov, and following guidelines. That we ourselves should become doctors, or we should buy into some strong video that you hear. One way or another, I don't, that's not the tater way to get things done. Now you could say all the doctors are part of the conspiracy, they're all being paid off, all the pharmaceuticals. Of course you could have that attitude. But then go back, what does the potato mean? And what happens if the reifah is not perfect? So you see the approach that, uh, that I'm really conveying as what I understand the Rebbe's approach. So I don't know if there's a black and white answer about the vaccination for the COVID. I would go by the doctor that you have, ask him. Ask a second one, ask the third one. But to come out with a blanket statement that all vaccinations are going to kill and these vaccinations are part of something, Remember, we are living with a COVID that's only less than a year old. So with the, with the vaccination, a few months from now, we may find out the vaccination has some side effects on some people, doesn't work for some people. It may also help and save people. And what happens if all the above are true? That's why, why we have to go black and white. Not, it's not black and white. It could be people will have reactions. There are certain vaccinations that people shouldn't take because they may be sensitive, extra sensitive. So look at it in a balanced way. Look at Tadakh Siddhis, and we have an Abishter that told us follow these guidelines. Have mistakes happened? Mistakes have happened. Have people died? Yes, people have died. Both ways, from taking something, from not taking something. And I'm sure if you do studies, you'll find case, case studies in each possible direction. Now, I know I'm going to get plenty of feedback here, either that I don't understand what vaccinations are, and they'll give me a whole Megillah about every particular case, not necessarily signed by a doctor. You know, there are other people who have also pointed themselves as doctors. Now, if you don't trust doctors, why would I trust someone who's not a doctor? So someone will say, because precisely that, they're not establishment. That's why you can trust them. Yeah, but you may have other agendas, or you may whatever. Some people just like to be contrarians. Anyway, I'm not going to rule on this. I'm not the final say. I'm just, since it's coming my way, and I do have Ashgach is the ear and the eyes of many of you, so I'm sharing what I believe is the Tata approach that would be the healthiest and the most God-ordained approach to how to deal with this issue and other issues that are similar. Okay. So, in this context, we've also spoken about betochen. Last week, about betochen, about uh, trust in God, and when things don't work out the way you want them to work out, or the way you expect it to work out, even though after many tefillahs. So I'm going to continue with that because I didn't finish all the questions. This one specifically how to deal with children. So let's talk about that. How do we explain to our children prayers not being fulfilled? Okay, so let me um, go there. Here we are. Good afternoon. I work with teenagers, and there's something that really stumps me. We listen and build relationships with our students, 
teach them chassidus, fabreng with them, and provide many opportunities for them to ask questions. Yet there are few that no matter how much we toil in building their amuna and betachen, are so angry about their life circumstances, circumstances that we cannot get through. They have experienced layers of, of objectively terrible things in their lives, abject, abject poverty, abuse, multiple family tragedies, and they don't even want to hear about the Eberster's goodness anymore, or Betochen, or Mashiach. How can we possibly help, help them? Uh, <clears throat> I'm only sighing because I identify with the issue. I deal with it a lot. And it's really one of the frustrating things. It's hard to really answer on a program like this because for whatever reason, at least in my experience, the personal empathy that's necessary to communicate is not just about ideas. It's a type of personal experience. I would like to speak to those teenagers or teenager. That's how I respond best. I will say some things. Obviously, I'm not stopping there. But I need to express that because so much of what you convey is not what you say, it's how you say it and with the care and the feelings. Because at the end of the day, it's not a question that you can answer. You're going to say, okay, here are the tragedies, now I'll tell you why they happened or why it shouldn't bother you. And especially if they were actually hurt by people and say, no, that, ignore that. Yes, of course there are things you can say. But above all, this is a person who's been, this teenager is a person who's been hurt who've been betrayed, either by individuals or they feel even by God or by the system. They feel. So what they need most is love, validation, confidence, confirmation, allowing them to be. The last thing they need is critique and judgment and condescension, I should add, that tells them something's the matter with them. Someone who's wounded like this and hurt needs to be cared for. So the above all, the first thing is, must be a tremendous amount of care and empathy. If you can't provide it, and I don't mean anyone specific, then you're not the person that should speak to these teenagers. Care, 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 love. With that, you start rebuilding trust. Because the issue here is, of course, trust more than anything. They don't trust. You lose trust once you've been hurt by someone that you were supposed to trust or love. And even with God. Now, of course, it sounds sacrilegious. You lose trust in God, we need to trust yeah, but remember, God is presented to us by others, by parents, by educators, by a system. That's why the Sifri says, not just it means that you should love God. You should make God beloved. should take tehev. Make God beloved in the eyes of others. Because a human being can either make a Kiddush Hashem, or people say, oh wow, that's a godly person. That's a God I want to have a relationship with. That's a God I can love. Or the opposite, God forbid, someone behaves in an atrocious way and so to speak in the name of God, a rabbi, a rebbe a school, a parent. So you make God hated by them because if that's what the godly person does, why would I want to have a relationship with such a God? So we have a, right, a direct impact on how our children and our teenagers and our students are going to look at God and everything God stands for. So the first step is to rebuild that, that they should say, oh, that's a God that cares. Someone is bleeding and hurt and wounded. And you go over and say, what can I do to help you? Instead of, what's the matter with you? Why'd you do this? Look at other teenagers. They have their act together. People have gone through worse than you. 
they hear someone cares, that starts reversing a, a God that sent a shliach to care for me. So that has more impact than anything you'll ever say. Let me put it bluntly and straightforward without question. Now, as far as what to say, this is already case by case. If you can collate, create that rapport and conversation and care, and you see there's a little trust, someone feels that they can talk to you, it's just easier to communicate. And you will say some things that will help. And you may not have the exact answers. You can't explain some things that are beyond us. Why tragedies happen, why innocent people suffer, why this one and that one. But you can create a camaraderie, you can create a kinship and a warmth where a person feels, you know, I can talk to this person. They'll cry with me. They understand, they'll empathize with me. As I said, that goes far, far further than any philosophy and any psychology and any words you can say. So that regarding that. A second question that was also in this same vein. My beloved Aunt Miriam, who was an amazing righteous woman, just passed away after being in the hospital for a month with COVID. During the month she was ill, our family and many people in the community held prayer vigils and said a lot of Tehillim, asking Hashem to please cure her from the illness. But unfortunately, our prayers weren't answered. How do we explain this to our kids? I told the 12-year-old nephew that ultimately Hashem does what he wants according to his divine plan. He answered me, if God does what he wants anyways, then why do we need to pray? I don't know how to answer this question. Perhaps you can advise. Thank you. P.S. May God Almighty please take away COVID and sink it to the bottom of the ocean. Our community has suffered enough this year. May the suffering end and be transformed into a year of unbridled joy with only good news for everyone to report. Amen to that. Again, this is not a question that's just a purely right and wrong question, right and wrong answer. Say this to the child, press this button. It all has to come with care and love. When something doesn't work out the way we, did, we wanted to, what we prayed for, the answer I would say is not that God did not answer our prayers. God did answer. He just said no to the way we wanted and yes to the way he understands it should be. So this, I would not look at this as God is against us. It's looking that God is mysterious and beyond us. Now, how do you convey that to children? Well, I wouldn't begin when there's a tragedy. I would begin, in general, we'd speak to children and say there's Hashem who created us. He gave you and I life, blessings, joy. Why, did you, why were you born in this and this year and this generation and not 100 years ago in... Uh, the Holocaust, or in the Soviet Union. Because Hashem wants you here right now. It's a blessing. We should thank Hashem. Every morning. This same Hashem sometimes does something or allows something to happen that we may not understand. That doesn't take away from the goodness. Because at the end of the day, He gave us life. Here, yes, the life of our uh, our uh, aunt or grandmother or mother was taken. We don't know why. But we don't weaken our connection to Hashem because Hashem still gives life. This didn't work out the way we wanted. So like the famous story, Hashem heard our prayers and said no. No to her continuing to live right now. 
I think it's important in the right language to share with children that there's a bigger mysterious picture. But never to forget the great blessings in our lives. We live without the gzeres, without the, the, the retzichas, the genocides, the expulsions, the oppression and afflictions of our parents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents. That doesn't take away from a tragedy, but it's just an approach to life. And frankly, it's not easy to talk to children about all these matters because they're, very, they're, very, they're young and impressionable. And frankly, it's not easy to talk to adults either about it. So there again, we have to just show, you know, this is something that saddens us. We would love that she would have been here. But Hashem had other plans. Let's figure out ways how to become stronger. How to do something in her memory. What did she enjoy? What did she like? Let's add an extra mitzvah on her behalf. And we continue to pray. They say, why did our prayers weren't answered? Because God is great and God listens to all prayers. It doesn't always work the way we want it to. And another thing, ultimately, when time passes, we may even understand why something was a greater good. But what we do know is our commitment to goodness and to mitzvahs continues. So let's do a mitzvah on her behalf. Her neshama continues to live on. And I would talk to children about neshamas. A neshama does not die. The body, just like electricity leaves the refrigerator, the refrigerator may not be working, but the electricity continues to go on its journey. Explain this to children, how neshama continues, and the neshama may not be physically present, but it's there when you do a mitzvah on its behalf, when you do a kind deed, the neshama has nachas of its children and nephews and nieces and grandchildren doing things. The neshama takes pleasure and prays for us. So all that I would include in the right words and the right spirit to our children to help them understand these matters. Okay. Now, I will say I have definitely spoken about these topics in the past. But I don't have the cross-references. But if you do a little search on, on chassidusapply.com, children, faith, betochen, tragedy, you'll find more if you need to have more on this topic. Okay. Let me continue now. Okay, there's a lot of other questions. I, I see time is limited. So as usual, I have to um, cut down a bit. So I'm going to talk about a follow-up or two. So there's a follow-up about answers from the Rebbe. Back in a few programs back, someone asked about writing to the Rebbe, not always feeling they get an answer. So as a follow-up, someone wrote, why do I get this feeling that only non-Labavitchers get amazing answers from the Rebbe through Igris and the oil, the letters and the oil? I have many ongoing issues in my life. I write to the Rebbe often. I take Achlotas Tevis. I study Chitas and three chapters Rambam daily. And I don't see any results. I know sometimes it takes time, but it's already four years since a serious ongoing issue began and I don't see any blessings. Okay, so this continues in the spirit of what we just spoke about. I will share with you, Chassidim always said that when you write it to the Rebbe a letter and you don't get an answer, it means that you have already the answer within you. And that's where the Rebbe doesn't have to answer. And I saw this with my own eyes. A couple I knew, 
who I helped uh, in many different ways. Whenever he would write to the Rebbe, he never got an answer. Whenever she wrote to the Rebbe, he, she always got an answer. So once they got married, I always said, if you want an answer, let her write. And always got an answer. He never got an answer except once when he had to make a very big decision in life. And it was very clear only the Rebbe could give him the answer. Without going into details, it was only the Rebbe. And he wrote that to the Rebbe. I cannot know with certainty something, but the Rebbe may, will know. And the Rebbe responded. Very short, but he responded. So that's one thing you have to keep in mind. It's not necessarily the Rebbe is not responding. He's responded. It may have been not directly. It may have been through something that happened in your life. I think it's important to remember a Rebbe doesn't work on our terms. The response will come one way or another. You have to open yourself up. If you lock yourself and say, I only want a response a certain way, then you may get the response another way and you haven't been listening. So that's the first thing I would say. The Rebbe of the Rebbe says about the Friedrich Rebbe. The Rebbe will find a way to give an answer. It can come from a taxi driver. It can come from an event in your life. It can come from your own inner gut. Yes, it can come in the oil. It can come in Nigris. It can come in many ways. But don't limit the ways. There are many ways that we get responses. Okay, so that's one thing. When you write that you don't see any blessings... The Rebbe always responds, you don't see any blessings in your life. I highly doubt that. Be fair. There was a thing called Tzorich Siddim. Siddim only wrote to the Rebbe when they had problems. And the Rebbe would say, why don't you write to me when things are good? It gives me nachet, just as the problems cause me aggravation. The good things bring me joy. So I think it's good to sit down and probably take some a little, a little uh, account, accounting and the Cheshben HaNefesh um, taking some stock of the good things and blessings in your life. It's not good to say you have no blessings. I mean, the fact that you're learning Chitas and, and Rambam and Achlotus Tevis, that alone is already a blessing. The answers and blessings in our lives don't always come the way we like to see them. It can come through health. It can come through avoiding other problems that you don't even know could have happened. So it's vital to always have a Kodesh for the things that are good. Do we want more? By all means. Pray for it, daven for it, do what you have to do. But it's important not to come away with the conclusion that there are no blessings. I don't see blessings. And finally, I would advise you to speak to a rav, a rav, a selech a rav, to a mentor, because you never know. Someone else may op- open your eyes and help you see something you don't see. Sometimes we're blinded. We are subjective, all of us, and biased. That would be my final point to this uh, question. Um... As I said, there are plenty of follow-up. Let me see if I'm going to do any more. Always. I'll do one more. Um, in episode 334, you wrote about, you spoke about the end of the world. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobs, for your weekly classes. I learned more from these classes than my years in school. Okay, that's nice. My question is regarding a topic that you were asked about from a high school. From high school, is it true that the world will come to an end? Yes, if you may recall back, Yutas uh, Kislev time, I did a special edition for high school students. So that's when I discussed that. You mentioned briefly that there's truth to that, but how exactly it will be, what exactly it means, is debated. Correct. Yeah. Can you please elaborate on that topic? And if you already did, can you please tell me where? 
So I did an episode 334, actually, that same episode. Also, if the world will truly really come to an end in the year 6,000 or 7,000, then does that mean that the true Elam Haba is only spiritual? If yes, how are we different than the Muslims who believe that this world is only for the purpose of the world to come? Thank you. Okay, so I spoke then, first of all, Gemara, it's based on a Gemara that says, Shit Hava Alma. The world will exist for 6,000 years, six millennia, and then will come the seventh, Chat Charuv. One millennia of Charuv literally means destruction. There's another opinion, Shte Charuv, 2,000, two millennia of destruction. Chassidus explains what this Charuv is. Destruction doesn't mean, God forbid, an apocalypse. It means an elimination of the old world. That's what we say, Hashamayim a new heaven, a new earth. And Apichsidus means a spiritual transformation that the world will be a different world compared to that world, the new world of Mashiach and Gula. We're talking about after the natural stage. That will be considered the previous so-called time period, that previous uh, span of 6,000 years will be considered like Charuv. And there's many explanations what that itself may mean. But we know clearly that Chassidus Paskins, like the Ramban, not like the Rambam, the Rambam holds that they'll be Tchiyas HaMesim for a short period of time, but the ultimate reward permanently will be only souls without bodies, because they can appreciate godliness. The Ramban says, no, Tchiyas HaMesim will be the permanent state. So clearly that means a world, a physical world, because that's what souls inside of bodies. But that alone, that Tchiyas HaMesim, that people will live forever, is already a world, a new world. Compared to that world, the world we are in now is like Charuv, that whole idea of mortality will be, will be eliminated. So that, in a sense, the world will go through that type of transformation. That's the general gist of it. What that means, that you need to learn chassidus. What does it mean when Elokus will be in this world and will continue to grow? And there'll be different stages. And there'll be a point that will not be similar to existence as we know. But on the other hand, is this existence itself will be elevated to a place, a far more divine place. And that itself will continue to grow so that's the general gist of it. Um, and if you go back to 334, this complements what was discussed there. If you want a bit more on this, I would suggest go to Tzamech Tzedek has a Maimorim on this topic. The easiest way to find it is if you go to Sefer Lekutim, Dach Tzamech Tzedek. It's like an encyclopedia of the, all the Maimorim of Tzamech Tzedek. And also in the, in the end of each entry, there's also sources for, from the other Rabbeim. And go to Erech La'osid Love, the future, and there's a section on Chat on Charuv, Chat Charuv, Shtei Charuv. The Rebbe has a sikh about it as well in Chelik Zayin. Look at the sikh, it's Bechukaisai sikh. It says when Mashiach comes, all the destructive, the predators, animals will seize Yishbesi. So there's two opinions whether they'll exist and they won't be predators anymore or they'll be eliminated altogether. And there too you'll see in the footnotes references to the different ways to understand the change of nature and the change that will come in the future. Okay, so thank you for that. Now let us go to the Chassidus question. And from that, we will go to the essays. And there was a lot of interesting topics I was going to address, but I see we ran out of time. And we'll have to do that in the coming weeks. Yeah. So here's the Chassidus question for the week. Bizbuza the splurging of the treasures. 
Rabbi, coming out of Yutzvat, can you explain what Bizbuza Eitzis means practically speaking? What in our life, what in our life is the manifested experience of Hashem's emptying the treasure houses? Thank you. So yes, in the Maimer this year, Basiligani chapter eleven corresponding to five seven eight one, and the Rebbe's biurim of this Maimer in Tovshin Chof Aleph and Tovshin Mem Aleph talks about the Chayils Tivus Hashem the soldiers the, who go on the front lines to fight the battles of the divine battles in this hostile world to transform the insanity of, of Lu'umazeh, the negative of this, of this dark world, into shtus, the gedusha, into a super rational commitment and approach, bringing, making a diri betachtenim and building a mishkan, a b'shachanti b'seichem, a permanent sanctuary for God in this world. So he says, when this battle is fought, the way it is, a king will splurge. Some people use the word squander. I don't like the word squander because squander also means waste. So let's use the word splurge. will open up his treasury, basically. Treasures that were held for generations, concealed. And he revealed to no one. No person even knew of them. But when it comes to Netzachen, Midas HaNetzachen, triumph, victory, and there's an enemy, that will... Teaches, touches the deepest part of the king and in that sense he reveals these greatest, deepest treasures and offers and gives us those resources to fight the battles to win. So tachtenim, there's nothing more antithetical to godliness than tachtenim. Like he says in Tanya chapter 36, tachtenim is the darkest and the most hostile world of all of existence where you have entities that ignore God or oppose God and claim I and nothing else, aniva avsiyate, in direct contrast to the truth, there's nothing but God, I and nothing else. So for that purpose, to fight that battle, God splurges and gives us all the deepest resources and treasures. So what does that mean in simple terms? Let's start with the first way it means. The Rebbe brings this in some of the Maimorim, the story with Alter Rebbe, that once they saw a page of Chassidus rolling on the ground, which of course was not appropriate, and Pinchas Karetzer, I believe it was, uh, said, you see, people are not appreciating what this is. Is it right to continue to teach it to people who don't appreciate its sanctity? And the Alter Rebbe gave the famous Moshal, the Moshal of the Ben Melech, the king's child, who was going to be the heir to the throne, but unfortunately fell ill. He was on his deathbed, and nothing could be done. Doctors could not find a way to heal him. Finally, one person from some exotic land came and said that perhaps if you take that most precious stone, the most precious stone, treasure, in the king's crown that makes that crown unique and defines the king's royalty and and glory, and you crush it, and you mix the powder with liquid, with water, and you get it through his clenched teeth, maybe a few drops will get through, some of it may pour out, that may, may save his life. And the king said, of course, not even a question. Now once you cross the, the crown, that uh, stone, you can't get it back. Because what does he need a crown for? What does he need at all if it's not, if his heir, if his child is going to die, God forbid. So that's the first bizbaza itzis. That Ebishta takes the deepest part of his secret teda, secrets of teda, chem de gnuza, a hidden treasure. Literally the same words the Gemara says, chem de gnuza. In Teda itself, Pnimiya 
that's closest to the crown, closest to the essence of the divine. He's going to reveal his divine essence. Which Moshe Rabbeinu, when he said, show me your glory. And Hashem said, I can't show you my face. But when it comes to Nemitis HaNetzachim, when there's a war to be fought, and their stakes are high, Hashem will reveal the deepest elements of the divine just to save his child. So here we are living in a world of profound assimilation. Jews who don't even know what Shabbos is, what kosher is. So they're not even to blame. So these are the people to fight the war, to help bring them some light, some hope, some education, some knowledge. Hashem will give us the deepest resources and strength that He never gave in all the generations. The Jews that left Mitzrayim, of course they got business ayam, business Mitzrayim, business ayam. And they were there day, they had many gifts. But the gifts that you get in the darkest moments are the ones that are the deepest of all because you need them. What does it mean in practical terms? It means that whoever you are, never say me, ani, amani, even though you may say, who am I compared to generations to come? You are living in this generation where so much is needed in bringing godliness to people, bringing chsidis. You have resources you can never imagine. So in very practical terms, that's what it means. The resources that you have embedded right now in you, and if you set your mind to it, and your heart, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. To bringing the ge'ula. All the generations till now didn't bring the ge'ula. How do we have that strength? So of course, we're nonas al-gabanok, which means a midget standing on the shoulders of giants. But that alone is keiches, that you're standing on those shoulders. And you're not alone. In addition, there's the deepest powers that we get when we just do the Mesidus Nefesh. No one's asking that we have to have necessarily complete cognitive and emotional alignment, meaning Chabad and Chagas and all the Giluim of Ave Veyira. You do your best, but you go out in the front line and do the action. You're given the strengths that supersede are stronger than all the generations that passed us. And those that have done it, see it, even though they didn't expect it. Try it out. Do you think the miracles of our time, technology, where you can reach millions, billions of people? Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't reach them in a derech It was Mamayim derech that the whole world heard and felt Matan Teira. Yeshaya Novi said, Molor is deyas Hashem kamayim leyom The world will be filled with divine knowledge as waters cover the sea. Today it's a, it's a practical and easy thing to do. It's a press of a few buttons. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. This is bizbuza eitzes. I technology is used for other things. That's because people have free will. So we have gifts, we have opportunities, we have possibilities to literally transform the world. No generation ever had that. That's Bizbuza Eitzis, to finish the job, to cross the, the finish line and bring the gula, not just for us, but for all the generations before us. So now let us do conclude with the 13th place winners of this year's My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest. So we have four categories. The first is the essay in English, Getting in Shape for the Final Redemption, by Chaim Miriam, Cynthia Malign, QEP, Technical Copywriter, Jupiter, Florida. So the getting in shape, interesting, right? So she begins and says something really powerful, that in our day and age, in our generation, talk about Bizbuzetzes, you see that there's two extremes about the food industry. There's a thriving diet industry and there's a thriving food industry. Of course, much of it can also be used in the wrong way. 
She says, by using chapter 27 in Tanya, she will explain, this essay explains how you can harness these two different elements of the food industry and turning it into a sign for Geula Amitiz Vashlema and helping bring the Geula. Pretty interesting essay. <laughs> Quite interesting. Check it out. The essays in English and the creative can be seen at chassidahsupply.com. The, the 13th place Hebrew essay, Men, how to deal with the devaluation of life that's happening in our time, leading, unfortunately, even to one people taking their lives. By Gilad Cohen, student, Jerusalem, Israel. Also a powerful essay that addresses that from a, from a chassidist point of view, the value of life. The Hebrew essay, the, both men and women can be seen at diraloy.org, D-I-R-A-L-O.org. The essay in Hebrew for women, 13th place, Yusuneir Menacheshach, which is finding the deeper light in darkness, by Chana Vals, or Valas, Valas, educator Be'er Sheva Israel. And exactly as its name applies, the title of the essay implies, looking to darkness and finding that deeper light, no matter what that darkness may be. And finally, the creative the creative track, the creative submission, Ketedus of Kedeshim, poetry, by Shalom Cohen, 69, Carnegie Mellon University, principal engineer, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, this is a very, very touching one. You have to see this. He writes that he was walking to Shul the day when that Shabbos, when 11 Jews were massacred in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. And all the aftermath so he thought about the 11, being the Pasha that talks about 11, the Yud Aleph, Ketedus. So he writes a poem, Ketedus of Ketedushim. Ketedus for the Ketedushim that were killed that day. A very touching and moving and powerful poem. So thank you for that. And again, it's at that, the English and the creative you can find at chassidusapply.com. Right on the home page, just click on essay winners, creative winners. And the Hebrew ones, diraloi, D-I-R-A-L-O.org, dedicated specifically to Hebrew resources and essays and other materials. Everyone have a very healthy and meaningful week. Yushchav Beishvat, the fullest. Pashtas Yisrael, Matanteira, Malahalon, Be'ema Be'yira, Be'resa Sebeziyah, Afkan, Be'ema Be'yira, Be'resa Sebeziyah, that we recreate Matanteira every day, every moment of our lives. This has been My Life Chassidah Supplied, episode 342. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be blessed, be well, and let us be zeicher finally to Yefutzah Menesach and bringing Mashiach Zidkenu. This program is brought to you by My Life Chassidah Supplied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupplied.com slash donate.